Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser clickers. Welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. And guys, today we just we have such a special announcement. William, why don't you take it away? <laughs> we're not just spending our entire episode talking about the news this time. No, no, we are. Um, <laughs> we're the entire yeah, I mean, announcements, William. I don't yeah, there has to be some kind of any clearer. That's true. Yeah. I mean, there is some cool stuff uh, happening. So the uh, Lucasfilm has revealed. The episode titles and writers and directors for the um, the eight tales of the Jedi shorts that are coming out uh, in just a couple days. As you're listening to this, um, I'm very excited for this. You know, this is basically a continuation of many of the stories from the Clone Wars. We've got Ahsoka, Dooku. It's going to be fantastic. Um, and so the episode titles are Life and Death. Uh, directed by Nathaniel Villanueva and Dave Filoni, and written by Dave Filoni. Uh, Justice, written by Saul Ruiz and written by Dave Filoni. The Sith Lord, directed by Saul Ruiz and written by Dave Filoni. Practice Makes Perfect, directed by Saul Ruiz and Dave Filoni. Uh, actually, there's a bunch of by Saul Ruiz and Dave Filoni. Coda, by the same pair. And then rounding it out is Choices, written and directed by Charles Murray, as well as Ilan Murray. Uh, on the writing side um and yeah it's gonna be great we've got we're gonna get ahsoka dooku qui-gon mace windu sidious uh young and an old qui-gon as they revealed at celebration bail inquisitors anakin obi-wan and everyone we know and love from the clone wars is back to reprise their roles so uh it's gonna be a fun time we had an opportunity to see the first episode at celebration and it was really really good so can't wait to dive in and review it with all of you guys in like a week and a half. We'll 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 have our Andor, review of Andor up, and then we'll do uh, Tales of the Jedi uh, a couple days after that. So stay tuned. Are you guys excited about this show? I, I am. I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to the Dooku aspect of it. I want to if it's going to show his downfall and basically his turning away from the Jedi Order. This I want to see. I think it. I think it will, and I think it'll be you yeah. know him and his Padawan Qui Gon. Oh, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great to see Qui Gon again, even though it's gonna be a younger version of what we've known. Mm-hmm. And remember, I mean, I think it might be an older one too. But and, and remember, like these were written by Dave Filoni because he just had a fun. He was just noodling one day on like flights. It was like, oh, this would be. I love to tell this kind of story, and you know, look some saw it. it was like this is this is too good. We have to make these, and so they're they're releasing all six shorts on Wednesday. So I, for one, cannot wait. Mm, I wonder if I can call out sick to work on uh, Wednesday so I can sit at home. No, not going to happen. There's going to be so much. We're going to have Andor. We're going to have, you know, six uh, shorts of Tales of the Jedi. It's quite a day this, mm-hmm. this week. So yeah, cannot wait for that. Um, also, on the Andor side of things, um, we just got the soundtrack for Volume 1, Episodes 1 through 4 of the series, uh, the season. Volume 2 will be out on November 4th in just in, you know two weeks or so. And Volume 3 will be out about a week after the series 
uh, the season concludes on December 2nd. So stay tuned for those. The, the soundtrack is just so good. Especially like after this this episode, I really like the, the the music we got at the end. But we'll we'll dive into that first. Tom, what episode are we discussing tonight? Well, we're going to be discussing Andor ep- episode seven, the announcement, directed by Benjamin Karen and written by Stephen Schiff. In this episode, the repercussions of Eldani, hi, uh, the repercussions of the Eldani heist reach all the way to Coruscant. While Cassian returns home, this this episode this episode is laying the groundwork, I think, for the rest of the Andor series, and it's laying a lot of threads. So, what do you guys think? Personally, this I know we talked about how great last week's episode was. I think I like this one even better. Like it was so good. I loved. <laughs> All, all of the dialogue and the discussions that are going on and the, the, it's not like galaxy. It's not like, uh, you know, action heavy. It's, it's very dialogue heavy, but the, the politics that's going on in the background and everything. Oh, it was, it's, it, I loved every second of this episode. I agree. Yeah, go ahead, Steven. Go ahead. I was gonna, it's, you really nailed it. Like it's, this is, again, it's another setup episode in a lot of ways. Like, we're setting up the rest of the second half of the season. They're setting up the next, you know, arc of episodes if we follow the same pattern. Uh, but, my God, the writing carries... And I don't want to say, like, it carries the show, because that actually implies, like, the rest of the show is bad. But, like, the writing is just fantastic. Like, we'll talk about Mon Mothma's scene, Ugh. the ISB scene. Like, they hold your attention despite it being just conversation. Um, and this will be a weird, a weird statement. Uh, I feel like Andor has realized the vision of like episode one in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like episode one has way too much like trade negotiations and political intrigue, but like the the dialogue is a little rough in some places. And I feel like Andor is just like, oh, Mon Mothma is outmaneuvering the like ISB and all these people. Like it's just fantastic. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I I kind of agree with you guys, but I I'm gonna take a look. I did I enjoyed the episode. It it held my attention because, like I said, there were so many threads being thrown, and you're looking at you know characters and just like where are they falling in all this? I still, when it came to the last episode, I would have to put that just a little bit above this. The writing in this episode, I have to give it total props. Because even Cyril and his mother, it, that whole dynamic is still so fascinating to me. Because here it, it starts out with him basically, again, eating blue milk and cereal. And she, she's she's getting on him because of how he's dressed. Because the suit, the neck is too high. And if I understood her correctly, it's showing that he's too um, desperate for a job. Just because the neck of the suit is too high. Well, I think... I think it's also uh, a matter of he is too individualistic. And in the Empire, individualism is not okay. You know, we mm-hmm. see that with the stormtroopers, you know, with the, with the, everyone dresses the same in the Empire, right? It, it's, you're not supposed to be your own person. 
And right. he, Cyril, you're not supposed to stand out. No, and he 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 likes standing out. He likes having a tailored suit and raising his collar so it's a little more fancy. And and you know he he pushes back. He's like, well, it's it's still a brown suit. What's wrong with it, right? But it, it's the fact that he doesn't. This whole this episode really focuses on how Cyril wants to be unique and special, and how he's kind of being forced to become a cog in a machine that he finds incredibly boring the the bureau of standards and you you kind of see throughout this episode he's 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 trying to be individualistic he's trying to be special stand out and he goes in this interview and it's just you can just see in his face how bored he is and how how he's gonna be bored to tears and he ends up taking the job in fuel purity it sounds absolutely miserable and you know that last shot of the of the episode where it's kind of zooming out uh, and he's just you know one in a sea of cubicles you just kind of sense his desperation i just think they did such a good job with all of that but but i think there's still there still is going to be a thread in there and unless i'm reading too much into the end of that where he's looking at the screen he's going to find something that's going to he's going to grab onto that's going to make him stand out again because he did tell the guy who was interviewing him he is out to to clear his name you know he flat out says that you know Okay, so this job, you know, it it, it it's going to be redundant. But he wants to get out there and clear his name because I did this, I did this, and and this happened. Uh, you know, and it, I don't think it's so much as he wants to stand out. I I take this as, as, look, he just wants to clear his name because he did the right thing. I don't know. I think it's both, right? Because, yes, he definitely knows he, he believes he did the right thing. And he's he's not wrong. Um but even in the very first episode, right, he added piping to his suit. He's he's someone who just doesn't want to be identical to everyone else. He never has been. And mm-hmm. he's kind of forced to take this job because he has no other prospects. And his his Uncle Harlow, we never actually see, but clearly is someone with great influence in the Empire, gets him this job. And, and even like the the his boss, I think his name is Flob even offers to expunge Cyril's record. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. You know, like Uncle Harlow's really pulling some strings for, for him. And yes, he will this eventually is, go. After this is fascinating. Him. I read Uncle Harlow as almost a nobody. Not like he's not a, an actual nobody, but like I read it as he's the type of person who thinks he's important, but actually isn't. Okay. I see what you're saying. Like, Yes, he like maybe he's somewhere up in the Bureau of Standards or he's like a local official. But I read a lot of this episode and the previous conversations with like Cyril and his mother just as like they think they hold him up as some great standard. Like Uncle Harlow's vouching for you. But it's like, okay, Uncle Harlow runs like the supermarket down the street. Like, yeah, like it's not nothing, but it's hardly this like brave a position of influence and, and I, I think I, I see where you're coming from because you kind of got that feeling from you know fob or flob that it's just like you know you know th- th- this is th- this this is where you know it, it's not vibrant it's an area of redundancy or verification but you know if you walk the floor and talk to lifetime employees you'll be surprised that a lot of people like it here but it does seem like that he might be doing this guy you know uncle harlow a favor to mm-hmm. do this and now it's like okay well you know i kind of feel sorry for this guy you know cyril's sitting here he's got this drive that he wants to clear his name so you know what 
I think I'm going to give this guy a break, even though it's a meaningless job. Maybe if I give him a break, maybe he'll end up becoming that cog in the machine and not even care. Maybe the whole offer, maybe the whole offer of expunging, maybe that was just like, I need a guy because the job's right here. I need you in there. Take the job and let's see what we can do. Yeah, see, it's interesting. Like, I, I read a lot of that, like, like William, you're talking about, like, Cyril's drive to be individualistic. I read it as he has a drive to, he's ambitious, and he has a drive to exceed. Um, and it's less about him wanting to stand out and more about him not wanting to be the cog in the machine. And I read Harlow and his mother and all of that as, like, they are cogs in the machine. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he's a higher up cog. He's a bigger cog. But at the end of the day you're talking about the Bureau of Standards, and that's clearly not the most exciting of places that yeah. you could be. I 100% mm-hmm. agree with you there, Stephen. Uh, yeah, I agree yeah. with you too. That, that's exactly how I read it. You know, he's not the most powerful guy at Harlow, but he's he's got enough power that he can get, he can pull some strings, he can get his, his nephew a job and expunge his record because the guy realizes that, you know, his nephew was in trouble. He's like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll clean it for you. But they think they're more important than they actually are. And they're in a really boring area ultimately. And, uh, and, and I think that ultimately Cyril wants, he does, I think he's both individualistic and uh, uh, very much desperate to, to prove himself and, and shine. And I think the two of them combined just makes it a, that's just a terrible terrible job mm-hmm. um, yeah. what do you think about I, oh sorry steven i was gonna, and I, I expect we'll see that you know as cyril watches the news and things like that that'll be something that pulls him out and you know maybe sends him off to coruscant to try and go to the isb directly or you know something along those lines potentially speaking of watching the news we actually he does learn of the attack on aldani and we get our first glimpse at the hollow net uh as well and you know I, the, this tr- more traditional holonet news um and it, it looks like straight out of the 60s or, or 70s news <laughs> broadcast <laughs> it's it was kind of cool to see yeah honestly i was a this was probably the one part of the episode i wasn't the biggest fan of like i thought it was fine all things considered but i definitely it felt a little too uh pedestrian i don't know if that's the right word like too normal mm-hmm. i don't know that was my my feelings at least yeah i i don't you're not wrong you're not wrong i i i, I one thing though i think i would love to get your take on steven is the the entire scene or set of scenes with the ISB, these along with the scenes with mon mothma were some of the best written mm-hmm. scenes I, that i have to agree with Every scene with the ISB was just fantastic. <laughs> um, from watching the Empire like opening up its toolbox to see what's you know how they're going to respond to the attack, um, you know taking more tribute or uh, you know increasing imperial activity and so on, um, just awesome to see. And I loved the the little bureaucratic infighting and sniping between uh, Deidre and Blevin, like mm-hmm. uh, you know. We, I think, was it this episode or the previous episode where Deidre kind of goes behind the scenes and tries to get like the the secret report, as it were? I, I, I can't think, remember. I think that was the last episode no, it was this, it was that's this referred to. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, um, but it's like that that scene where you know Blevin is like, actually, I think we should be talking about this like juicy <laughs> little bit of gossip. 
Um, and then Deidre just being like, you know what? Okay, we will talk about this. And just starts laying down this evidence. Just fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I really, really appreciated, um, I am, why am I, the name of the, uh, the head is, uh, it starts with a G, right? The head of the ISB. I mean, there's, there's Ularin, there's major, but there's also Ularin who is leading off the episode too, Colonel Ularin, which is cool to see. Yep. Uh, but the scene where Partagast is like, you know, Deidre, are, are you critiquing my, the way I've set up the bureau? And there's that moment where you can tell she's debating between, do I give the the suck up answer and tell him that, no, of course I would never be doing that. Mm-hmm. And the correct answer um, was just really, really well done. Yeah. And I think it just, again, goes to show the like, I don't know, it, it just makes the empire feel competent. Like, yes, they are naturally bureaucratic and it creates infighting, but there are people there who are very good at what they do. Partagas, Deidre, who are, you know, willing and able to break the lines and the rules in order to make progress. And it's just awesome. Mm. Such like, honestly, I could have watched just that scene and given this episode like a 10 out of 10. And, like, no, and, and that, that, that part, I agree with you. And I think, I think when it comes to, we were talking about Cyril about wanting to stand out. I think the one that is walking on eggshells, but is standing out as a absolutely fun character to watch is uh, Deirdre mm-hmm. oh, yeah. because of how she and how her writing is given to her is really proving look i have a gut instinct sure i'm going to enact i think it was an emergency uh, emergency declaration or emergency order or something to get around this because you're not giving me what i want over there and this is what i've been able to track between all these sectors and you have to understand the rebels aren't looking at they're not looking at sectors they're looking at the little individual if i understood correctly individual pieces and that's where you have to look. They're not just shoehorned into this, this, this. You have to look at the big picture of mm-hmm. what they're doing. No, it's, yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things I loved about this whole episode was getting more into the politics of both the Empire and the Rebellion. You know, on the Imperial side, like you said, we've got Deidre saying, no, I, you know, the, the Rebels are not going to only, you know, work within our sectors, right? They're not going to play by our rules and the lines we've drawn on the map. And, you know, Belevin tries to use that against her and she's able to come back with a compelling, and I, and I was actually just thinking like, how would I feel if someone tried to attack me in a team meeting like that, you know? And uh, he comes out and he attacks her and she turns it right back on him and says, no, I've got the evidence and lays it all out and completely wins Major Party Gaz over to the point where she gets the Morlana sector now. Uh, it's just so... So well done, so well written. Um, and then also, you know, so I guess there's that, that piece, right, where you've got the, 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 the ISB is, and the Empire, you know, is sometimes they, they forget that, you know, the rebels don't really play to, the, to their lines. But there, then there's also, um, at the very beginning, the, the new policies Colonel Ularin uh, says the Empire has enacted. And, that fascinated me as well because we learned that you know the empire is so upset about the 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 attack the terror attack as they call it on Aldani that they have expanded the ISB's mandate uh, they're now able to take the lead going forward apparently they were like issues with accessing na- army and naval resources all those issues have gone away all those roadblocks they can now access whatever resources they need their hot hands are no longer tied when it comes to surveillance search or seizure 
uh, it, all these things, it's like you can kind of see how this empire that started as a republic, right, with an, this Palpatine saying, well, I'm the emperor now, and not much changed realistically. Once certain things like this happen, they use it as an opportunity to seize more control and become more tyrannical. And it's it's so fascinating to watch and see how the empire changes more and more into the thing we know from the original trilogy. Well, it seemed like for me when last episode you had the by midnight tonight, I want to see anything that's basically we can use as a retaliation against Aldani. Okay, I want it by midnight. And it seems like everything that Yolarin went, it seems like it's above what was asked before. I mean, a tribute tax five times the amount stolen from Eldani on any system harboring local activity. So that's basically meaning that if you are found, even if you weren't harboring any rebels, even if you weren't, you're automatically taxed five times the amount of the money that was stolen from Eldani. And then, you know, local festivities as cover for imperial activity where results in the rights of the festival being taken away. I mean, some of the stuff that was brought up, it's like, you want to talk about tightening your grip and not so much a scorched earth thing, but any little bit that could be interpreted wrong, which we'll find out later, you're nailed. You're, yeah. you're, you are just, you are a bad person in, in the uh, face of the empire. Yeah. It, it's just so, so fascinating to see how the ISB is, is gaining more, the empire ultimately is gaining more power and control in the galaxy. And, I love, like you said, Stephen. I I could have watched an entire episode of just the ISB and given it a ten out of ten. I I suspect we're going to start seeing more of this over, <clears throat> you know, the re- maybe the rest of the season, but especially in season two of Andor. Like we're going to see more of the rebel intelligence versus imperial intelligence, like that mm-hmm. back and forth, you know, spy versus spy battle. Oh. I think this is we're setting up the pieces for it. Bring it yeah. on. Bring yeah, it I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, and and I think it's really setting up very well for Deirdre because I love at the end where it where the whole thing's just said and done that Petergast sat there and said, "Hey, you know, come walk with me." And as they're walking through the hallway, basically it's like, you know, watch your back. So he's pulling. Okay, so here's a question: I do you think he's really pulling for, or he's one of those where it's like. I'm going to give her, I'm going to pull for her, but I'm going to give her enough rope to see how far she'll go before maybe she can hang herself. What do you think? No, I, I think she's giving her a genuine warning. Like he, he knows exactly the type of bureaucratic infighting that the ISB is, you know, famous for mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, and he's, he knows that the, like he says it in two or three episodes ago, you know, like you are the type of person this empire needs is why I brought you here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also knows that, it's not going to be that easy. Like she will be in danger and that will be a problem. Yeah. Hope, hopefully he can still watch her back going forward because it seems like he's almost setting himself up as well by putting his neck on the line for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, I mean, I feel like he's giving her enough, a little bit of flexibility, but ultimately he can, you know, if she were to fail, I don't know if it would reflect ultimately on him because he's he takes it very um he tries to you know pretend to almost be impartial right i i, I love that scene when uh Belevin, you know asks well where would we be if everyone took this and he's like well 
yes, where would we be if everyone, you know, uh, um, and he kind of gives Deidre a, a backhanded compliment in many ways. Uh, I don't know if a backhanded, more of a veiled compliment. And, uh, you know, she, he ultimately sides with her, but, you know, I think he's, he's not going willing to go far enough to stop the infighting on, between the Imperials, but he is, um, he's definitely siding with her if he, if he can. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. It's I think so to a certain good. extent, I think to a certain extent, he should let the infighting happen because maybe, just maybe, what Deirdre's going through can rub off on somebody else. And hopefully, she won't be the only one that'll start looking outside of their sectors to start seeing all the puzzle pieces that are at play. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a, it, it, yeah, I think you're, you're right. The, so that was one of my favorite scenes. The other favorite scene of mine was, and there's so many, but the, um, it, we, we got to see the Imperials and how the their politics, but we also got to see more of the politics of the rebels from Mon Mothma and Luthen to Mon Mothma's party. Oh, these are just absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal scenes. Let's the Mon start Mothma. With- uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to say, let's start with the Mamathma Luthan one, because yeah. that one to me was it, it was it was a little bit more fascinating than the party that she had later because of the how Luthan was going back and forth. But he had to make it look like it was a normal conversation because Monmothma does know that her driver is ISB. OK, she's being tra- tailed. But it was the acting back and forth of the. A big smile on his face whenever he turned toward the front of the store. But you could see like the determination on his face once and in his voice once he turned away from the door, kind of giving her a warning. I thought that was that was brilliant. But we can get into the scene. So, yeah, Stephen, what did you think of all this? No, I agree. Like Stellan Skarsgård just does an amazing job here, like as he's flopping back and forth. Um and like the way they will vary dialogue volume as well, where sometimes he's saying something quiet and talking about, you know, the rebel activity. Sometimes it's loud. He's pretending to talk about art. And then sometimes it's both. And that it's just, I don't know. Like it's one of those things like you have to go back and rewatch it multiple times because there's just, there's so much nuance happening there. Especially uh, Mun Mothma. Mun Mothma, the way, the way she used her, mm-hmm. the, the way she spoke the whole time, because it was a concern because I see you are seeing both sides of the rebels. I really think Luthen is on the side of of uh, God. Why am I blanking? Um, on the more radical part of the rebellion. Oh, yeah. Compared to Mamathra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and that's the yeah. thing. I the thing I really enjoyed about this is we don't really know how big the rebel alliance is at this point, right? We we knew that Cassian was. Uh, I mean, if you if you put together the other pieces, but as an average viewer, right, you don't really get a sense of, well, do we have this giant network or is it just Luthen? And we kind of learn a lot more about the state of the rebels in this uh, and how, you know, Luthen is kind of, he seems to be the one. So we, we, we've got the rebel network and then we've got Mon Mothma and uh, on the political side. And we'll talk more about her and the funding and everything in just a minute. But Luthen is, is he's driving the, the, the network that they're building and he's been working with Mon Mothma to set up this, this rebel network. And we start to discover that, and this is, I had no idea that they have a very 
big difference of opinions. They are not aligned at all. Like Mon Mothma, the, the, her, the acting when she's like, she realizes that Luthen was behind the raid on Aldani and how like she's almost terrified. You know, like what have you done is just so, so, well, she, Genevieve O'Reilly did a phenomenal job acting that, but also the, just getting to see the two different sides of the coin when it comes to how to handle the rebels. I don't think the difference, I feel like the episode actually makes this look a little bit more dramatic than I think it actually is. So at this point in time, we know Sagarera is off doing his type of thing, which we know Mon Mothma doesn't agree with. We've got Luthen's intelligence network. I seem to recall at this, around this same time in the, uh, I was one of the Leia novels um, when she's a teenager, like Alderaan is, already, is starting to put together a military force at this point as well. Like I seem to recall there being a, uh, a hidden rebel base that uh, Bail Organa visits around this time period. And so I, I've like, I suspect what Monoth is really reacting to is the, you're forcing the empire to go out before we're like, come out of here before we're ready. And it's more of that side than any like horror at the idea of fighting the empire. I think she's at where a lot of people are in episode, or sorry, in Rogue One, where she's not quite ready to come out of the woodworks yet. She thinks they need more money, more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that, and that set. That is, that is very true. Although, I, I, she is, I think Luthen does tend to fall more on the uh, uh, more extreme side, like Sagarera, where he's willing, where he, you know, he, 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 she's like, people will suffer. And he's like, that's the plan, right? We need people to suffer. Uh, You know, we need to build this network and use it to make the, you know, we need to make people afraid so that they won't hesitate. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and so he definitely is more, I think, extreme than Mon Mothma would like. But we didn't know when the show started. Was he, was he 100% aligned with Mon Mothma? Apparently, the answer is no. Uh, they, I, yeah, yeah. I was like, I also, Luthen has that that set of dialogue where he talks about how you know the Empire has us by our throats, but they're squeezing so slowly, it's becoming normal. And yes, I, I love the the characterization of the Empire. It's like, no, no, the Empire wasn't dumb. They didn't like take over and be like, okay, great, time to massacre people. Like, no, that they, they were. Yep. Exu, uh, exib, uh, what's the word? Like, whatever. They're taking control very slowly. They are squeezing very slowly. They are forcing their will on the galaxy very slowly. And it is, and Luthen and Mon Mothma and others know what's coming. They know mm-hmm. where this leads. They know they need to do something about it. But they recognize, uh, I should say, Luthen recognizes that if they don't force the Empire to react, nothing like they won't be able to create the rebellion they need. Mm. And so I love Luthen pointing out like, no, we, we have to force the empire to react. We have to force them to overreact because when they overreact, that's what causes, you know, the rebellion to happen. Mm. That is what, you know, um, when we see Cassian's mom on Ferrix, you know, when we talk about Cassian's side, like that is what causes people like her to take the actions that she does. It is what causes people to join the rebel Alliance and create the rebel Alliance. And it's just, they did an amazing job of, uh, representing all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way they contrast the two different opinions is just so good. It's mm-hmm. so good. And especially as we start getting into the party with Mon Mothma too, I, I loved this scene. And it's mm-hmm. there's not much we didn't know in this scene. It's not like there's any revel, unlike the Luthen scene, right, where we learned a lot about 
uh, about their di- their relationship and their dynamic. Um, really, Mon Mothma scene is re- mostly telling the audience what they already know. But we we meet this this banker, her oldest family friend named Tay Colma, played by Ben Miles, and. For a brief moment, I was like, is that Chancellor Valorum? But no, no, it's it's Tate Colma. Um, and throughout this party, she, uh, she she needs someone to help her access her family funds and, and kind of chair her charitable organization so they can funnel money out of there. And this whole scene is how she introduces the concept to Tay. And I love how he's... They start talking about politics, and he's like, "Well, I think my my opinions might be too straight extreme for someone like you." And then she's like, "Well, you know, maybe, maybe not." And mm-hmm. oh, it's just, I, I just love how often she mirrored his language throughout the uh, discussion. Yes, and that final reveal where you you realize she is as ruthless as Luthen in her own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, 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 you know, and the fact that when she talks about how she's learned from Palpatine, you know, I'm like, oh, that's, she's not wrong. You know, it's, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I just like how she doesn't even trust her husband with all this because she even sat there and she told, she, she told her friend, don't mention anything. My, you know, I do not trust my husband. And I just, the smile, husband is, what? Smile. Smile. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> smile. And, and I just. I, I, I believe her because that her husband is just so ruthless to kind of like, you know, the daughter is like, go, go talk to your mother to be excused. You know, I don't want to hear about it. Go talk to your mother. It's like the the daughter seems like she's the ploy in between the middle of the two of them. And, and the husband is like, I'm going to use it that way because I think at some point it's going to be, it's going to get nasty between the two of them to find out where he's going to actually, where he lies in all this other than not being trustworthy. And I'm I'm very excited for that. I I love I, I I always enjoy stories where like the walls are closing in on people, you know, and there's like no escape. And this is exactly where Armand Mothma is. In, in some ways, she says in this episode, she actually wants to be in that position, right? She's intentionally putting herself in that position, being just enough enough of an irritation that they're looking at her over here while you know at her right hand while with her left hand she's you know running the Rebel Alliance and it, and yeah. And, they, I love the line, uh, like, if they if they see me with a rock in my hand, maybe they won't notice the knife at their throat. Yeah. I believe was the line. And just, it, yeah. Perfect. Oh. No notes. <laughs> it's just, oh, I, I loved everything. It, it's, it's kind of funny because this scene is really just an extended, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's a scene where we already know everything that's happening. And she's just putting her cards down on the table for this new character. And they're just talking at a dinner party and as they walk around and smile and yet it's such a tense and gripping scene. It, it may be one of my favorite scenes, but it's probably I think my, one of my favorite scenes of the entire episode um, was this one. And I just loved every second of it. The, 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 I guess so. Cause actually I take it back. There's one thing we learned in this scene. Mon Mothma reveals that there are only three people in the galaxy that know what she's really doing. Uh, and I thought it was really fascinating that they quantified this. And because, and, you, you know, at this point, there could be many people who secretly know she's with the rebels. But apparently it's just three. And I, I believe she doesn't explicitly say that. But my, my, my guess is Bail Organa, of course. 
Luthenrail, and probably Clea, his assistant, because she's there for a lot of their conversations. What do you guys think? It would have to be. Yeah. I mean, who who could be right. Yeah, who could be the other person? Now well, it'd be interesting be to find three, right? out. The Bale, Luthen, and the assistant. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's fascinating. They're the only ones who know what Mon Mothma is doing. And so that that tells me that while you know in Rogue One we see her as the head of the whole Rebel Alliance, right now she is she's really only communicating with Luthen or Bale, and then they're communicating with other people. Um, I'm, I'm guessing Luthen's really the one organizing a lot of the, he's organizing the network. Bale is helping with maybe the stuff on Alderaan, like you were just talking about, Stephen, um, the, the network there. And then maybe Luthen is the one who's working with people like Sagarera and, and others. Presumably. Well, I, I, uh-huh. I think the tell was, he was in his stock room listening to a radio thing and getting updates yeah. before Mamatha showed up. And then the second tell was when he sent Clea out to go meet with the um, um, Val, girl right? From Val, right. I almost didn't recognize her. her. I know. I didn't recognize <laughs> her at all. And then it was like, oh, wait a minute, it's her. But now, now you're looking at, you see who's running that part of the network. So... It ha- yeah. And anyway. speaking of ruthlessness, Clea yeah, basically that... orders Vel to find and kill Cassian because he knows about Luthen. Yeah, and that that's ruthless. You know, but we know it's not going to happen because we see him in Rogue One. Sure. So, yeah. But, but that was but n- it, something it, I was not expecting. I no. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but you know, I don't know if it's because he if if Cassian had stayed, would Luthen have put up you know, ordered his death. I don't know, but maybe it sounds like they really wanted to cut all ties at this point to the Aldani raid. I mean, keep in mind, this is Cassian as the, uh, once he becomes a rebel intelligence agent, you know, like this is, this is his whole problem in rogue one is he feels the, the darkness, the, you know, whatever you want to call it, like that ruthlessness. So it, it, I don't think it's surprising at all that Luthen is exhibiting that exact same thing. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. That mm-hmm. is a great point. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting to see Vel pop up again and, and, you know, also looking all put together now instead of being, you know, living in the, <laughs> in the dirt and the mud for, for, for weeks. Um, that's, that's, I think what took me a second. I was like, wait, that's, that's Vel. Uh, and I talked to other people as well who were like, who, who is that person? And, and I was like, "Oh no, it's 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 Vel." Um, but uh, we learned that Luthen had some doubts about Skeen, and um, Vel is trying to contact both Luthen and Cinta, and Clay's, and basically tells her to cut off all communication because anything is dangerous. And uh, so this really shows that the the Rebel Alliance, the early Rebel Alliance, is. Like you were mentioning, Tom, they're they're not a, uh, above taking someone out if they need to to maintain secrecy. What I'm going to find interesting is will we see Cinta again? Because you did see her basically escape, but now where's her story go? Or is she just going to be 
a lost thing right now because the only one that's got the price on his head is Cassian. I get the sense, and Stephen, I'd love to hear what you think as well, but I get the sense that Vel will ultimately want to make sure Cinta is okay and um and, and she'll also be going after Cassian. And and so eventually Vel and Cassian will uh butt heads. And I'm not sure if eventually that's when he'll join or or what, but clearly Cassian is he's not ready to join the rebels yet, especially given that conversation with his his mom that we'll talk about in in just a moment. Uh but he's he's slowly getting there. Yeah, it, it's getting yeah. it's getting close. Um, yeah. But he's at, for the moment he's got his money and uh, he's ready to like start life over again, you know. So getting on to that point, what did you think about Cassian returning home? I mean, I'm glad we got to see Ferrix again. Like we talked about it when we left it in, after episode three that like it was an awesome set and location. Uh, and I was I was hoping we'd revisit it. I, I suspect we might actually be done with it now, though. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of closure that happens here. Like Cassie basically finds everyone he had debts to, goes and finds his friends, goes and finds Bix, learns about Tim. Um, and that's kind of it. Like they're done, you know? Well, on top of that, everybody on Ferrix blames him for bringing the Empire to the doorstep. So, yeah, you could see that whole Ferrix, you know, I mean, the whole planet being done with and we won't see it again. Yeah. I feel sorry for his mom because his mom basically is not going to go. And he's trying to convince her like crazy. Hey, look, we can leave right now. Just pack what's pack what you can carry and let's go. But yeah. she's, she's standing firm. It's like, you know what? Basically, I'm going to stand because in so many words, a rebellion has to start somewhere and I'm staying. Yeah, I I was not expecting that. And I really liked I really liked that because, you know, we, we talked about how, oh, well, it's going to be Nemec's manifesto that's going to convince Cassian. And maybe that's the case, and maybe it's a combination of things. But the, having his him go home and his mom be the one that says she wants to she wants to fight, right? She she was clearly a separatist. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that's that's the case, right? Ba- based on the the earlier episodes, um, they were not the most thrilled with the Republic. There's there's strong hints that Ferrix was a separatist planet, and that the Empire, the Republic, sorry, came and freed Ferrix from the separatists but in the process some people like um you know his his dad Clem were or sorry some people were protesting his dad dad Clem tried to calm him down and he got caught up in the crossfire and and killed and it's really cool to see the clone troopers in uh, return and and also not digitally like these are I think the first time we've seen clone troopers in actual armor uh that weren't digitally created so that's that's cool as well um, but she's a, she's a, ultimately his mom is a separatist and his parents were separatists and they, they want to rebel against the then Republic, now the empire and having her be inspired by what happened on Aldani, even though she doesn't know her son took part in it, just, I think will ultimately, Cassie doesn't understand it right now, but I think ultimately will push him over the edge. Do you, do you think? She doesn't, or I think toward the end of the conversation, did she possibly put two and two together and figure out that he was part of it? I'm not sure. I, 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 I don't I, think I, she I put it together, but yeah, what, what do you guys think? think? She figured it out. Okay. Okay. And yeah. Then it, maybe I, I, I kind of read that wrong because I, I was listening to that and I'm like, 
I don't know. So okay. I mean, maybe, but yeah, I think she doesn't realize yet, and and it's it's fascinating that Cassian also doesn't want to tell her. He just, you know, he just says he doesn't understand why she wants to stay. So he's still not a believer in the cause yet. But I think this is a another step toward that direction. The fact that his mom cares so passionately about it, and the fact that she was when she heard about Aldani, she was able to to walk through this the 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 plaza where her husband was ha- hung by either the Republic or the Empire is not 100% clear. I think the Republic, um, you know, with her head held high because they're rebelling now. Super interesting. Uh, mm. I think I she said she put on her ball. best coat. Yeah. Her best coat when she did it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I I really enjoyed the this whole scene. And I, I, I take it when she says rebellion, it's like a lowercase r rebellion. It's not the formalized rebellion that she's joining, yeah. but the the spirit of rebellion against the empire. Yeah. Agrees me. And they, you know, they do go their separate ways, but Steven, you started to talk about this earlier and I I did want to circle back around to that. You know, will, will we, is fair, is Ferrix done for? I, I don't think so. I think they, you're right. They did wrap things up a lot, but I think, I I suspect the end of the season will be on Ferrix again. They'll go back to Mm -hmm. Ferrix Cassian will, you know, maybe his mom will try to do something. I don't really know, but I think, I think they have to go back to Ferrix because there's that Imperial base on Ferrix. Um, right. Deidre Miro was just assigned the Morlana system. Um, and so I think, and, uh, okay. And, and I think, and I think he did say he was going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so I think they'll, I think they will come back, but probably cl- maybe the last episode or two of the season is my guess. Um, you know, I thought they might not come back the first time, and I was definitely wrong. But I, th- I think they'll come back this time. <laughs> it's just oh, this. I just love every. It, it's it's kind of funny because we talk about this episode. I'm like, oh, that was that was one of my favorites. That was my favorites. I, the Mon Mothma stuff still my favorite overall, followed by the ISB. But everything was just so so good. So the, the last thing I really appreciated, and I, I'll get to it in a sec, because I have to like, we have to lead into it, but Cassian takes off, goes to some beach planet, uh, decides he is just going to like basically go on a binge is kind of my my takeaway. Like, meh, rest of the galaxy can take care of itself. I've got, you know, what, 20,000 credits, however much he ended up stealing. 200. Sorry, yeah. 200, yeah. He's, he's rolling. A lot. <laughs> yeah. He can and, enjoy uh, lots of fun time on Nyamos. Yeah, he is just living life, like beachside resort. Yeah, some catchy music. <laughs> no shirt, no shirt, no clothes. You yeah. know, just relax, take it to easy. Shack up with, uh, and it all goes south. When he just he's just going out to the run, going down, grab some food. Happens to be on a jog and stopped by. Oh no, no, no. he wasn't even on a jog. It was these other other guys who were running. Uh huh. That the shore troopers were going after them. Sorry, I don't, yeah, he, but he, he, I thought he was jogging like he was moving slightly faster and then watching. And the shore troopers like, "Oh, what's this? You're running near a crime scene. Clearly, you're part of it." Oh. It, oh, yeah, yeah. That hurt. It's, that hurt so much. Yeah, not not where you want to be. Well, and it shows back to the beginning of the episode how the empire is starting to crack down now in the wake of Aldani, and you know. Technically, yeah, like <laughs> he was involved in that, but uh, they they get him not for his crimes in Aldani, 
they arrest him because he happened to be walking up a set of stairs quickly, trying to get away from some people that were running. Well, I don't know what you want me to say. That is a clear sign of guilt. <laughs> and, and it's also multiple years in prison. Six. And it could also be the wrong place at the wrong time. Right? He got six yeah. years in prison. Again, also a call back to the you know extended prison sentences that the Empire is now. Um, yep. It's funny because it was out, supposed but... to have been just six months. Even six she months did, is excessive, was, you know. Well, that's excessive, but but originally she was just like, well, this was a six-month sentence, and now we're going to give you six years. Yeah. It's it's brutal, and I'm very curious to see how Cassian gets out of this because he's supposed to now go to jail for six years. Is someone going to break him out? How does he escape? Could be Val. I, I assume he will be broken out either by Vel or you know someone else who's been involved. But yeah, it's not not a great look for him. No. no, no. We also get the introduction for the series, at least, of a KX series droid like K K two S O, not actually K two S O. I was so excited. Oh, I love yeah, the way so he I, rises out so of the cool. water. <laughs> Unbelievably excited, and I really hope we get. I mean, I, like, I know the show's supposed to go straight up to Rogue One, but I really hope we get K2SO. I think, uh, I believe Alan Tudyk said not in season one, but he he, but that K2SO would be in season two. Yeah, it would make sense for season Good two. With that. I don't, yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. And so I think this is our, you know, the first time he sees one of these KX series security droids. And uh, the, kind the of memory really hangs with face, him. Didn't he? The memory really hangs with him. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And, and, Wow, boy, did he get put up against the wall. That thing was just right up against his... Th- oh, wow, that was fun to watch. And you get to see a little bit of like that K2SO personality, but without the the humor, you know, as much. It's 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 kind of humorous, but only because he's being so literal, right? Uh, which K2SO is at times, but um, yeah, it's it's so great. And the shot of it, the droid coming out of the... Up the beach, almost like coming out of the water or something... It almost felt like, you know, James Bond walking, you know, getting out of the water. I don't know, but it was, it was, it was great. Uh, a good, good analogy. Yeah. And I, everything about this episode, I just, I just absolutely loved. I, I, I thought it was fantastic start to finish. I don't know. Any, any other thought, final, final thoughts before we, or any other comments before we get into our, our, our review? I think I'm good. Steven? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Ugh. Why don't you go first, Steven? You always make me go first. Um, okay, William, okay, you go first. Um, William, you go first. No, no, no. no. You've, you've, you've done it. It's too late. Okay. Um, oh, where to start? So just, I, I think I, was, I came into this episode with pretty low expectations. I expected it to be kind of similar to what we saw in um, the, pre, uh, like, episode four. Like, introduced to a new crew, things are getting started, um, you know, that kind of vibe. And instead, what we got was just uh, some of the best political intrigue I think we've gotten in Star Wars in a long time between the ISB and, uh, you know, Mon Mothma. Like, the Cassian stuff I thought was fine, but really, Deidre, Mon Mothma stole the show, like, without any question. Um, Yeah, like, it's just, it was a super solid episode, and, like, you know, it... I wouldn't. I don't think I'd agree with you, William. I don't think it was better than the previous episode, 
Um, but they're very it's hard okay. to compare. <laughs> like the previous episode was like an, a fantastic like heist episode, and this was just a fantastic political intrigue. Like, yeah, they're very different. It probably is some of the best political intrigue Star Wars has done in a long time, and that's weird because that's not usually a strong suit for Star Wars, but they're pulling it off. So you know, I I can't really complain. Um, yeah. Uh, so that overall, just yeah, just fantastic episode. I'll give it uh, I think an eight and a half out of ten Womp Rats. Might be a tad low, um, but just awesome. And I, I all my womp rats are doing is they're sitting in like one of you know, like the the police mirrors that are like two-way or one-way mirrors. Um, my womp rats sitting behind a one-way mirror watching the ISB uh officers like at each other's throats and they're just cheering. Like there's that this is entertainment for them. Best day of their lives. Are are uh, they passing credits back and forth to see who's gonna come out on top? Yeah, I mean, that, many of them won. Like, they were betting on Deidre because they knew. Like, they've got lots of these little mirrors hidden around the ISB. It's part of, like, helping second string, you know, who watches the Watchmen type of vibe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just amazing episode overall. Uh, yeah, Tom, you're up next. <sighs> okay. Um, I will have to say my two favorite scenes in this episode Definitely the ISB and definitely Mon Mothma at, at that party. Um, I found this episode. Even, the last episode was really driven by action. This one was basically driven by dialogue and writing and basically the situation the characters were in. And when you needed something to be tense, it was pulled off. I mean, also, I got to say the Mon Mothma within um, with Luthen. That scene was incredible because, as we discussed, how Luther was able to go back and forth with his rising, you know, as he's looking toward the, the the glass, that you know, making a statement as he's raising his voice one way with a smile on his face, but he turns around and his voice is lower, and you could just tell it's like he's 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 got that brutal undertone, and then Mamathma with her her quivering thing back and forth, like oh my God, you did Aldani and all that. I mean, there's so much you can pick apart with this by way of the writing and the acting that just made this episode great. I'm just going to give it, I'm going to go a little bit higher than Steve, and I'm giving this 8.75. I know we do this very rarely. Um, I loved it. My 8.75 Womp Rats, see, they were actually running on the beach, and they were stopped by miniature shore troopers, and they were each asked, why are you sweating? And one of them looked at him and said, because it's hot outside. Okay. And, and they still got you know, pulled over and were given six years in jail because they were considered to possibly be part of everything that was happening on the planet. So that was anyway, William, get me out of this. <laughs> uh, wow. This, this episode was just, I, I, I know not everyone agrees, but this, I think was as impressive as the last one was. I just loved the political intrigue in this one uh, so much that I, man, I, I think not a lot more can be said than what you guys have said. This they just delivered. The dialogue is dialogue is not all. I love Star Wars, but dialogue is not always Star Wars strong suit. And this uh, this series just continues to excel. And it is the writing is just phenomenal. I, I and I think that's what really takes these uh, scenes, which is a lot of exposition and conversations about politics, and just turns it up to the next level. And so I, I think I'm going to give this episode uh, 9.5 Womp Rats. I just loved it. I, I, I 
there's nothing else I can say. I, I just loved it. And my nine and a half Womp Rats, um, you know, they are, um, uh, they're, you know, Mon Mothma has, Luthen runs the, the this rebel spy network, but Mon Mothma, the reason there's only three people to know because there's also a group of Womp Rats that um, uh, are the other intelligence network for, for Mon Mothma. And so... Those are the the nine and a half womp rats that comprise that organization. It's super top secret. Not even Luther knows. I don't know. Anyway, I, uh, I know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it works. Works for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess that that wraps up our review of Andor episode seven announcement. We'll be back next week with our review. Actually, it'll be a little, a uh, little over a, a week uh, with our review of um, the, the eighth episode of Andor, and then we will also have our review of all six Tales of the Jedi shorts, uh, the spiritual successor successor to the Clone Wars. So, very excited for that as well. Tom, Stephen, thanks as always. This was so much fun. Oh, absolutely, not yeah. a problem. Great episode. And uh, stay tuned because the uh, Holonet news is coming at you again next week with another episode of Ion Cannon. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncanoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncanoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.